Welcome back to Winning the Battle for Talent, the podcast where our customer service experts discuss people management, reducing attrition, and helping employees thrive. Let's join the conversation. Welcome to J.D. Power's Winning the Battle for Talent podcast. I'm Michael Vermillion with J.D. Power, and with me today are Mark Miller and Scott Killingsworth from J.D. Power. Mark, Scott, welcome. Thanks, Mike. Happy to be here today. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be. Thanks. And uh, also with us today are Brian Kearney and Ted Narden from Fifth Talent. So Brian and Ted, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for inviting us. Yeah, my pleasure. So we want to focus today on quit rate. And this is a, uh, a metric that's been uh, in the news recently. Uh, we think we recently saw the November 21 uh, numbers come out. And uh, they were the, the highest, at least in the U.S., the highest quit rate uh, in uh, recorded history. So why don't we just dive into this a bit, Brian and Ted, in terms of you know, what is the quit rate? Uh, how is it measured? Yeah, sure. I'll take that. Um, the quit rate is measured by survey, um, and it's done through the government. Through It's here in the U.S., and what they do is they survey various companies and ask them literally how many people have voluntarily left positions between you know the first and the end of the month, and um, they you know aggregate all of those numbers into a rate of total workforce and what percentage it is of, of that total workforce. I've been tracking that for about I think about 20, 22 years. And the reason that they track this is because um, about 20 years ago, they decided that there must be something more on a leading indicator that they can look at from an employment side to try to get an understanding of what's happening out there in the employment market. Um, you know, as, a, as a, a, a way of understanding whether businesses are struggling or, or not. Um, and interestingly, you mentioned that it's the, it's the highest, it is the highest, but only slightly higher than in September. So September was the highest on record, dipped just slightly in October, and then went back up in November. And then, of course, it looks like um, it, some some indicators that people are looking at say it might be on an upward even in December. So so why is it so high? So we're, we're seeing record numbers in September and October and November. Um, what What's happening out there in the marketplace that's, that's creating this... Um, huge, you know, millions of people leaving their jobs? Well, one thing I say is there is no one thing. Um, a lot of people want to uh, peg it as one thing. For example, if you look at um, data or analysis coming out of the economic side or, or economists, they tend to look at it as simply a, a supply and demand sort of situation. There are a lot more jobs, a lot fewer people. <clears throat> and so the number one reason they're leaving is to go get higher wages. People are having to raise the wages in order to attract people in. But unfortunately, that doesn't hold up when you start looking at a, a lot of other um, data points, and in particular, some surveys that have been done, where, first of all, there are companies paying um, at market or slightly below market who have considerably um, fewer quit rate um, or fewer quits. And then you look at people who are paying in the top end of the market who are, in fact, seeing higher. So it's not, it's not a one um, answer fits all. But I think it's a few things. It's one is that we, of course, have a lot of people exiting the workforce. And we can see that because the unemployment rate is low. 
And it's in fact, it's the lowest it's been in years. And yet our job openings is the highest it's been. So we set, we have so many more jobs open as a, as a percent of the workforce than we've had before. So what we're looking at here is a, is a situation where we just literally don't have as many people in the workforce. And it's because a lot of uh, folks are retiring early when they would normally retire at say 65 or 68, a lot are leaving at 60 and 62. We have a lot of people who are um, leaving on, on just uh, a basis of um, to step back and think and look at life. There's a lot of um, being studied about that, that they're not sure what the work world really means to them. And then uh, what should be replacing all those people would be those of the youngest generation, what we call the, the Gen Z, uh, those 26 and younger, who should be um, really taking over a lot of these positions that are open. And they're actually entering the, the uh, market at the lowest rate um, of any generation previously. So I think it's a combination of all those things but just to, just to answer real quickly is why are they quitting is the bigger key um, is that, that, that they really, it's a lot of reasons, as I said, but the, the real big reason here is that people are looking towards what can I get out of another job? And money might be part of it. But what we're finding is that, in fact, people are telling us in our studies and what we're seeing and looking at the, the data of clients we work with is that people are more apt to be leaving to find a job that they feel is less stressful and, and less um, anxiety involved in it and thereby makes it what they say is more worthwhile. And it's what they're going is for that overall more worthwhile job that's out there. So, so based on kind of what we know today and reading the tea leaves, uh, what, what are our, what's kind of the short-term outlook here on the quit rate? Is Do we expect it to kind of maintain the current level? Uh, is, is there a potential for it actually accelerating in Q1 or, or do we expect it to see uh, to see it kind of fall off a bit here in Q1? Well, if it's um, based on any of the previous patterns, it was climbing as a, a rate even prior to the pandemic. So the uh, I think what the survey that was done right before the pandemic, uh, um, January, February, indicated the highest quits rate um, of anything prior to that. So we were already headed on that path. It dropped during the beginning of the pandemic, and then it is accelerating now upward. So, um, you know, it's anybody's guess, but what we know is this. We know it that it doesn't appear to be dropping. That we know. Whether it'll accelerate, we're, we're really not sure because of a lot of different factors that are going on right now, such as the pay rates have, have increased in a lot of places. Um, but I, I think what, what we're really going to see is that it's not going to change substantially downward is the more important thing. And where it's sitting right now is problematic for a lot of companies. So I, I think that's what we're going to see in first quarter is you have to deal with where it's at, whether it, it goes up, we don't know, but it's not going to go down. So, well, thanks, Ted. So, so kind of turning the conversation now towards action and and, and just helping uh, companies think through, that, especially companies that are experiencing a um, higher quit rate among their employee base. Um, what are some of the things that companies can do about this to uh, to address um, uh, address a higher quit rate among their established employee base? Yeah, and I can talk about that a little bit. Um, so I guess the non non economist view is that people are quitting their job because they don't like their job. <laughs> so what's what's interesting about that is then how do you get them to like their job? And it's interesting, um, once again, there's a lot of companies that are doing great right now. 
and even you know those customer facing employees which uh, people are really having a hard time keeping um, they're doing great and doing great with customers because it comes down to the kind of this employee experience and one of the biggest factors impacting the employee experience is who you report to who your boss is so those companies that are doing well kind of the the winners right now they have that that good culture and if they are in a remote environment they figured out how to do that effectively and once again it is that supervisor you know that boss that is critical they're now the face of the company when you go remote and um so how do they how do they do this effectively and and from our studies we've seen that that's actually a position that has suffered quite a bit, even more than the, the, the general employees, because they have to now change, they have to now figure out, and a lot of the entire organization kind of comes down on them with workload and everything else. So what we've seen um, not only is how do you help train those individuals uh, to, in a sense, we, we call it lead remote teams, and the other piece is how do you impact their experience so that they can spend more time with uh, with their employees and have it much more positive and one of the things is reducing reporting relationships and things like that so that they're freed up to really keep those employees engaged hey i want to jump in here for a second brian you just said the magic word there keep those employees engaged you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but you know the leaders are are understanding that one way or the other, right now at this moment, there's a cost in essence to be paid, and in many cases, as you know, the data has shown, it's not necessarily direct labor costs in the sense of paying more that yields better results, but it is an investment in that front line and, and you know would you all agree uh, on this call that that means that leadership at the executive level needs to embrace the fact that engagement has it's required to be pushed down and by definition that requires more effort energy and time and so you know, top performers are doing things practically like reducing their span of control, right? So that there is that more time. I think you made a reference to that, but I just wanted to push on that a little bit because, you know, folks listening to this podcast are wondering, hey, what are some practical things that we could do? And our suggestion is that, you know, there's no free lunch and you actually do have to create an environment, intentionally create an environment where that engagement can happen and that has to be in the form of time. So any thoughts on that? Well, I, I think you're exactly right, Mark. I mean, it's it's time and it's, um, it's focus, as you had said. We look at it from the standpoint of grind, which we, we say is that set of activities that are going on that keep people from doing the job they, they feel like they were really hired to do in a sense um, for the front line that's engaged with customers but for your management team that's they thought they were there to really coach and help people improve and when you move to a remote work environment 
you um, find out these sorts of activities take a lot more time, a lot more effort. Absolutely. There's no question. Hey, it's Scott, uh, Brian and Ted. You know, we had a conversation the other day. Um, I think I asked the question, you know, is this because of COVID? You guys had an interesting answer. You said, hey, this need for someone to like their job, okay, it's, 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 it's kind of plain. That's always been there. But people had um, other positive interactions when we were in brick and mortar with their coworkers. They had a sense of community, a support group that was there. And now, you know, moving to a remote environment due to COVID, uh, you know, some of the challenges and issues and drivers that were already there and existed now have been magnified because some of those, uh, you know, the ability to interact, relationships, sense of community, like I mentioned, now that that's gone, it, it, it kind of magnifies what was already there. Kind of talk about that a little bit. One of the things that happens when somebody is what we call intending to leave um, and why we have our intent to quit diagnostic is that they begin to mull over what's it going to take for me to switch jobs? And there's a lot of things that come into this. I mean, part of the concepts are around what's called job embeddedness. How embedded am I in this job? And how much stress is it going to cause me to actually change the job? And when they start thinking about that, they start thinking about what sort of connections or embeddedness do I have to this job and how much stress exists. And then they weigh the two, we all do this, is it going to be worth, say, the, the increase in wages to also go to now the unknown, where maybe I had spent a year or two years or however long with the company, and now I'm starting over, kind of like going from senior to freshman in school, and I've got to learn new people, and I'm no longer the person that, that was connected to everybody, and that's a real trade-off. We all, we all believe that. But if where they were is more stressful and, and they don't feel connected, and there isn't all of those things going on that used to be there, then really they ask themselves, is this really worthwhile? And if not, let me see if I can go find something else worthwhile. So I think it's, it's really what you're saying, Scott, is that you know, people really look at this as, um, what's the point? You know, why am I working here? And if it's, if it's just to drone on every day and not be really connected and be part of a culture and, and, and invited into this whole new world, then I might as well go do something else somewhere else. And that's really, I think, what we're seeing in this quits rate. Yeah, and to build on that, um, what you had before, which kept you a little bit more engaged, is if you were physically kind of like in an office, you had coworkers that you really got to know and uh, different positive things there that happen in those interactions. And you also had access to other leaders. And you got to even know other leaders and even other managers and things like that. Also, when you got to know other departments and you had support directly from other part departments, if you had a problem with your paycheck, you just walk over to finance or you had a problem with benefits or vacation or whatever it is, you just walk over to HR uh, and same thing with IT. And now that you're remote, you don't have a very good link to employees and it might only be text only and text only that everybody sees. So you're not really having a, a, a real conversation, especially anything that's kind of, you know, personal, um, even professional, because you don't want to ask dumb questions that everybody can see. And we saw that there was a lot of things that people would learn 
on the job they would tell us from one of our studies is, hey, now that I don't have somebody sitting next to me who, um, you know, we have the same job, I can't turn over and ask them dumb questions or how do you do this or how do you do that? And that was a lot of the ways that, that they learned and got better and even collectively got better at their job. And that's kind of gone away. Um, so you're now left with this main you know, point of contact is that supervisor. And unfortunately, when they have a problem, even with IT or these other departments, they're still going to their supervisor <laughs> and saying, what do I do? Who do I contact? You know, what effective companies are doing is having more proactive and different ways of structuring those other departments supporting, uh, you know, the people who are at home. And that's one of the, you know, where, where people are winning. But once again, this, this has changed the employee experience. People like it. People really like working at home. That's why we call it a work at home dilemma because people overwhelmingly want a, um, a work at home situation and including hybrid. They really like that model. But, um, so if you can't bring people back in, how are you going to make this work? And that's what we're saying. It is, there's ways you can extend your culture remotely. Once again, it is the key being that supervisor. So, so just to wrap up today's topic, uh, we'd like to look to the future and there's, there's a lot of questions here we can, we can cover. But I, I think one of the um, the key ones is around this idea that if you have a high quit rate, the amount of work to do doesn't necessarily go down. And so the, the workload for the remaining employee base uh, goes up on a per employee basis. So what do we expect to see happen here just in terms of uh, burnout of the people that don't quit? And, and, and trying to cover for, uh, for the, the people who, who do leave. And, and what are some of the things companies should be thinking about there in terms of um, measurement and, and action? You actually hit on another data point that we have, which is companies that we work with who claim um, or, or show that they're overstaffed from a workforce management perspective have a much lower quit rate than those who are understaffed. And it just goes to your point. I mean, there's data behind that. They would tell us that people do get burned out. Um, but there are a couple parts to that. The first thing is it's about the culture because if you believe that you're chipping in and you're working these extra hours or doing whatever the stress is to keep the company going in a, in a rough time, but you really feel a part of that in, in, in that energy, then that's not going to be necessarily contributing to burnout. It might actually contribute to a real feeling of accomplishment and more of the meaningfulness of work. So it's really about mitigating that with where where are you as a culture and, and where do you feel people are in terms of their commitment to to the culture and to you, to the teams. And then on the other side is the you know the dark side if you will is what you say is people are resentful that other people have quit and that the work has been thrown on them. Um, there's a corollary to this by the way which is companies who are beginning to see a lot of burnout are starting to do things like um, offering people the ability to, to disconnect from work for a day or two at, at any point in time, not counting against their leave or any of that kind of thing. And what they're finding is that's great for the person to disconnect, but somebody still has to pick up that work. And so again, even though they're not leaving, now you have somebody who had to pick up the work so somebody else could take a breather. Now when do I get to pick up you know, that time? Because <laughs> now I need a breather. And so we're seeing a lot of more absenteeism 
and um, and certainly a lot of other HR re uh, related issues associated with this. Well, Mark and uh, Scott, Brian and Ted, uh, thanks so much for for joining us today. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. It was great. Yeah, our pleasure. And thanks to our listeners as well. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.